0: I'm your host, Reverend Dr. Angela Raven Anderson. In this segment, we explore how our understanding of God and who God is calling us as believers to be is informed at the intersection of race, gender, and religion. We examine how the combination of liberation, womanist, and egalitarian theology presents an understanding of God's kingdom that embraces, restores, uplifts, and transforms all who would enter therein. When we consider and learn from the wisdom gained in the lived experiences of women of color, our view of God's kingdom is stretched, contextualized, enriched, and expanded. So let's listen to their voices as they move us beyond the stained glass ceiling. Today on our show, we welcome the Reverend Dr. Dominique A. Robinson, a New Jersey native, who is a millennial womanist homiletician and a justice advocate. Reared in the Pentecostal tradition, she answered her call to ministry at the age of 13. Dominique earned her Bachelor of Arts in Government from Georgetown University, a Master of Divinity and a Master of Theology from Candler School of Theology uh, there at Emory University. She has also earned a Doctorate of Ministry degree from Columbia Theological Seminary in Gospel and Culture. Her dissertation, I Homiletics, Preaching That Clicks, is a groundbreaking research and consulting service to assist faith leaders with developing impactful ministry that employs technology and social media linguistics. She is currently a PhD student at Christian Theological Seminary in the world's first African-American preaching and sacred rhetoric program, PhD program. Dr. Robinson is the newly appointed John Hines Assistant Professor of Preaching at the Seminary of the Southwest in Austin, Texas, and she takes great pride in being the former inaugural dean of chapel and assistant professor of religion at Wiley College in Marshall, Texas. Dr. Robinson is an ordained itinerant elder in the African Methodist Episcopal Zion Church, and she is a member of the illustrious Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. Dr. Dominique Robinson, welcome to the program today. How are you?
1: Thank you so much for that very kind introduction of <laughs> um, an opportunity to share. I'm doing well. how are you doing today?
0: I am awesome. I am awesome. I have to tell you guys that I had the opportunity to meet uh, Dr. Robinson uh, earlier. Well, I guess it was the end of last year, and I was so impressed with her scholarship, but more so, even just her passion for uh, justice and for God's word and 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 understanding. Um, how the Bible uh, really pushes us toward seeking justice in our world. So I am, I, I feel like she's a kindred soul, y'all. So <laughs> so um, as we talk about this, to get us started today, I just want folks to get to know a little bit about you. I found it interesting that you said that you accepted your call into ministry at age 13. Um and, and I, I'm i always interested in um, folks in their call stories because when we talk about intersection, right, that is one of those places where we find collision in the church, women accepting their call to ministry. So I'm just curious for you, how was that experience?
1: <laughs> yeah, the intersection of, of my gender, my age, uh, for sure. Um, so I grew up in a Pentecostal tradition where my paternal grandmother founded the church i grew up in and pastor the church i grew up in so and she actually uh started the church because of the collision you kind of mentioned women not being accepted to preach um so i know she she had roots in the church of god in christ where still to this day women are still not ordained as preachers they're allowed to be like evangelists or missionaries but not necessarily as pastors um but they preach from the floor, right? They still preach, and I take away from from the fact that they preach. But this idea of sanction and ordination. So my grandmother then kind of separated from the Pentecostal tradition, or at least from that section or sector of the Pentecostal tradition, to start her own church. She started in the basement of her mother-in-law, um, and because we had such a, a large family, the church was filled first with just family. But so my grandmother is actually one of 34, <laughs> and wow. she had 10 children. So the church I grew up in was large, but it was all family. Um, And when she relocated out of the basement and started renting a property for the church in Irvington, New Jersey, is when other persons who weren't family started to join the church and, you know, develop all these ministries. So I grew up thinking and believing, and I still do think and believe, um, I thought God's voice was always feminine because I was introduced to God through my grandmother. So the shack was nothing to me, like see the, the, the embodiment <laughs> of God as a large black woman in the kitchen cooking. And I was like, oh, I already knew that. Um, and so that was my introduction to God. Um, and because I grew up in this Pentecostal tradition where you know, we believe everybody has gifts and everybody's supposed to be a part of this worship experience. I grew up with my cousins singing, my aunts and uncles doing this, like everybody was involved in the ministry. Um, I can't sing, so we tried several things. I sang, I was not, I'm not a good singer. Uh, they tried having me be an usher. I am not a pleasant person at the door. Um, <laughs> they tried, um, oh my goodness, I, I, I played the drums as a kid. I was actually really good until my grandmother said that it was too masculine of a thing for me to be doing. Um, and I think around the age 13 is when my, I don't think I had a choice. My grandmother ultimately was like, you're going to preach the children's day on such and such day. Um, but while that was happening, I was already kind of wrestling with my own call, like where I was supposed to be and what I was supposed to be doing. And while there were so many opportunities to serve, I praised dance, like I did, I did everything right. I was the PK that basically had no choice, but to try everything. Right. Um, <laughs> um, but I was still resting on like, what was my place in space? Because, oh my God, my family could sing. And that was like their anointing. Like they were a choir period. I was right. never really in the choir. Right. And when I was the first kind of grandchild to be like, I think preaching is my thing. And they were all like, oh really? <laughs> you know? Um, and so ironically enough, my first sermon was on train up a child and the way they should go. I don't know what I knew about that text. But I definitely preached it in my first sermon at 13, the, November of 1998. Um, and uh, I cannot tell you now as a preaching professor, if I really preached or had any exegetical content in the sermon, mm-hmm. but that was my answer to the call. I felt like um, in a really personal way between me and God, it was me finally saying yes to something I might've been running from because I used to use praise dance as my way to participate and articulate without speaking because mm-hmm. praise dancing is still something I still love. It's like, oh yeah, because I feel like you can do it with music and not have to say anything. Um, you can hide in, but behind like ensembles and colors and you can be as dramatic as you want. Um, and I, I attempted to use that as a smoke screen to the preaching ministry. Um, but then when I entered the preaching ministry, it just kind of took off on its own. So there's a one thing that makes me feel like, I personally wrestled, I say yes to God. And then I felt like I said yes again when I was in college. Now I'm like, oh, you're an adult, you need to make this decision. But I also was in a tradition where you were thrown in and it was sink or swim. And it right. was we, need to see, we needed to see evidence of the Holy Ghost. Did, do you speak in tongue? Do you lay hands? Like, so I uh, thank God I swam and didn't sink because I saw a lot of other young preachers, persons try out what they thought was their gift or their calling and it wasn't. And in the sinking moment, we were really unforgiving.
0: Oh, that's unfortunate. That's unfortunate. Well, tell me a little bit then about from that point, because now you are, um, you've transitioned into the African Methodist Episcopal Zion tradition. Um, what kind of led you in those, in that pathway?
1: So I went to high school to, obviously we all went to high school, right? So when I went to high school, I met two persons who became, have become my childhood best friends. One, her mom was a pastor in the church, uh, at Amy Zion church. The other one was really active. So we're all 13, 14, 15, like we're growing up. Um, they had church in the morning. I got to the Pentecostal church in the evening. So I'm in church all night. So I started to like try their church in the morning because um, I was definitely that church kid who liked church all day. Um, powerfully enough or providentially enough, my best friend's mom, who was the pastor, knew my family. So there was there was some familiarity that I saw in her preaching and her leadership. So here I am again with another female pastor. Um in a very young age, being formed by these women in ministry, um, though she was within the tradition. She definitely still had some Pentecostal flares to her, and so I was very attracted to um, the church. Here's the thing that attracted me to the 89 church, which most people would probably find um, almost, like, shocking or startling for somebody so young. I loved the structured order of the church. Mm-hmm. Um, while I was appreciative of the spiritual gifts and formation that I was getting in my grandmother's church, I I was very interested in learning, like, school stuff and that was not always welcome and it is still not always welcome in the Pentecostal tradition you don't need to go to school to know Jesus and I felt like I did I wanted to know how to do stuff um and so going to my friend's mom's church I would see like they had these conference studies where they were studying how to preach how to how to how to break down the bible uh learning the history of the church like all these and that was super super attractive to me um because my grandmother was the pastor, and I felt like if anything went wrong, everybody blamed my grandmother. That's one. Two, I didn't like sharing my grandmother. She was my grandmother, and your pastor, and you called her grandma, and I appreciate it. So, uh, what attracted me to United Church were these roles and distinctions and boundaries and checks and balances. If the pastor messes up, there's a presiding elder. If the presiding elder messes up, there's a, a bishop. If the bishop messes up, there's a board of bishops, and there are legislative bodies that are a part of like the order of the church. I have to also admit, I was a person who was very interested in going to law school. So all that collided for me um, when I saw, oh, there's order and structure here. I can do that. And they put you on a path to study. So for a good portion of my high school years, probably up until I was 18, because I felt like, you know, a kid, you can't make a decision to leave the church until you're 18. For most of my high school career, I was going to both churches. I was going right. to A&E Zion churches in the morning. I was going to my grandmother's churches in the evening, um, church services in the evening. And I kept finding this really great balance of learn and learn it. Kind of stuff and structure because mm-hmm. the, the order of worship in the 89 church was like, oh, this is, we know this happened every Sunday. In my grandmother's church, I did not know what was happening every Sunday. I didn't know who was getting <laughs> called was, out, who was. It was yes. subject to this,
0: the move of the spirit.
1: <laughs> yes. I mean, that, that was the bulletin. It was a half sheet of paper and the bottom was a large asterisk statement subject. you That's exactly what it was. So it was like, I didn't know if you are going to be called out to be prophesied to. I didn't know if somebody else had a word. I didn't know if he was going to call me out. All I didn't know if he was going to shout all night. I didn't know. <laughs> so it was a great balancing of determining, you know, clear. so that's how I, so I joined Amy's Zion church at 18 when I turned 18, my birthday is January 8th. I remember going into the new year, deciding I would write a letter to resign from my grandmother's church and then to officially join Clint Memorial Amy's Design church in Newark, New Jersey. And I did that. It was not welcomed. Um, so quite honestly it created a, a kind of a schism between my family and I when I made this decision we're all good now but they felt like I was too young um, and I didn't know what I was doing but I was really clear on the fact that if I was going to answer the call that God had on my life I wanted to study for real to show that self-approved and if awesome. this was a church that was going to support that then that's what I wanted to do plus there was another the female pastor um, my friends were going to the church um, it just was so new and it was so much to learn and I didn't even realize how connected of a church it was. I started to learn like, oh, all these churches are connected. Oh, AME Zion Church is connected to AME and CME. And so, growing up and seeing all these buildings, realizing that there's some sisterhood, well, sisterhood, or, you know, it, it basically being a Delta, I could say the Black Methodist Church is one of the largest fraternities you'll ever meet and ever engage in the world, you know, Methodism itself. Yeah. So, that's how I joined the AME Zion Church. And um, I still, every every now and then it's very rare that i go back my grandmother is no longer with us, but the church still exists and my family is still very much a part of the church and so every now and then i'll go but as far as they're concerned i'm all i have a one-way ticket to hell i am wearing makeup i'm wearing pants i'm wearing jewelry I'm, I'm not married with children yet i am i'm not doing well I they send me prayer oil twice a year the fact that i don't run out of the oil before the new oil gets there i'm not praying enough i'm not tearing enough um and that's all good well defined or you must tear each other
0: must carry okay <laughs> must carry but uh oh, you know, I, I rely it. on
1: those i rely on those principles when i'm going through i'm like I'm I? I, me searching for the oil with my oil now send oh, I'm looking for the oil, I'm laying it on my head, I'm anointing my office, oh God, casting every demon, you know,
0: so I, <laughs> I, I, love feel like, well, I, love I love it, I love it, I love it, but but it becomes, I mean, that's, it's part of your foundation, right, it's part of that, that makes up your own spirituality, your walk with God, and 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 it's, it's interesting how all of us, um, or many of us, you know, we may, Started, I, I know personally. I started in a Church of Christ tradition. That's how I worship, mm-hmm. and I now worship in in a uh, Baptist tradition. But uh, and went to school. Most of my elementary at a school that was owned by an Assembly God, and so I just feel like I'm just a whole jumble of things. You know that you that you grow and you. Pull from that began to that God uses to mold you and to speak to you and to um draw you closer into his presence. Um, let me ask you since your impressions, I love how you said that you have no no issue with seeing God as as the as the as the as the big mama in the kitchen fixing food yeah. for everybody, right? So hel- yeah. help me um understand, did you when was that notion challenged or when did you begin to recognize that's not everybody's view? Yeah, you know,
1: honestly, all right. So I'm part of the Clint Memorial a Church. Zion Church. Uh, one of the biggest things that I, I had a struggle overcoming when I joined the church was this itinerant piece where the bishop assigns a, a pastor, right? And mm-hmm. So my first time losing, you know, my pastor, um, Francis Murray Williams, or Dr. Francis Murray Williams, we received a new pastor. I was away in college. Um, and when i came back to the church to visit or do something um he uh, the pastor kind uh, of uh, told me he he specifically said to me i was too confident as a preacher and at first i could not tell if it was because of my age or my gender um i later on found out it was because of both but more so my gender um that as a young preacher um, seeking ordination in the A&E wine church. I, I, had, I was not ordained yet. I was still like, licensed. Although I was ordained in the Pentecostal church. That's a whole other story for another day, right? Uh, how they, right. how we value or equate that, no, elitism in a church. The ordination right. over here doesn't matter over in our church. Like, okay. But anyway, um, and it was in my experience with him that I realized my notion of God is, was not everyone else's and my confidence that I didn't know was confidence. Right, so I didn't see it as too confident. I just never questioned my own right value. I never questioned the call. Like I'm like, don't is this what women do? So um, that was one of the first times, and probably most pivotal times, I realized that maybe I am too confident for people. Maybe, maybe, maybe um, it wasn't confidence as we're knowing it today. It was. Uh, Part of Methodism, particularly Black Methodism, and ordination process is about um, hazing and humility. And apparently, I I had not been made because I had not gone through the process of feeling humbled by the process of the school of the church. And so that's what I felt like he was referencing, um, which was a combination of both me being a female and my age. Like I was like, oh, I you know, because as far as I was concerned, I wanted to become an attorney. And preaching was my side thing. It was like, and it wasn't even an income for me as a kid because it's just, you know, it was preaching is what I do on the side. It wasn't a living. And so I I didn't need like I didn't think that I didn't think that the level of confidence this person was critiquing me of was worth a conversation. I'm like, aren't we supposed to approach this? It's it's first of all, it's ridiculous to say God called us. Like, how do you know? Okay, one. And then two to say I have a word from God, for God's people. So right, that's a bold statement. It's a bold statement. So if it, there takes a bit of arrogance to be able to say that, like there ha- there's a bit of of um, uh, foolishness and arrogance to be able to articulate that. Um, and I think that he had not encountered a woman as confident, nor someone as young. And so that was the first time that I started. So that might've been maybe my um either freshman or sophomore year of college when I started to realize like, oh, this is going to be a different type of journey. This is not accepted because just because it was him, I realized it was actually a larger sentiment within not just the tradition, but within Black church, quite honestly. Uh, I started to realize that, oh, we don't, this space that I thought we had, we don't have outside of my grandmother's bubble or this this smaller right. church. Because right. as a kid, I didn't realize why she started her church. I just right. knew my grandmother started her church. So that's when I realized my notion was different, and I, I and and now having the language for it, I guess I was a womanist before I knew I was a womanist because I had no idea that we had to create space or come to a table that we didn't build. I I only knew women to build the table, create the chairs, create the meal. I didn't know um, the men in my grandmother's church raised the money and helped people on and off the church man. Mm-hmm. That but that was they. Mm-hmm. Dang, dang, I didn't see many men in my grandmother's church preaching. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And my grandmother's brother, my uncle, when she got sick, he became the pastor. And yeah, he preached, but he was a uh, military educated, came in. So for them, they thought he was lecturing and not preaching. Right. Because they they see the holler in him. Um,
0: All right. <laughs>
1: and I, I always I value what he bought to the church. Uh, he, he stabilized them financially. But again, it was a matter of I didn't know. And it's interesting that I'm saying this to you out loud because even in my grandmother pastoring, she embodied patriarchy like nobody else. The more I think, like, the, like I was, empowered. I was empowered by her presence. I was empowered by her rearing. I was empowered by her preaching. But she definitely embodied patriarchy for sure. And I tell you a movie that made me think about it. And, you know, God forbid anybody gets upset about this.
0: Well, let me um, ask you this. Was... Patriarchy or hierarchy? Patriarchy. Okay.
1: Patriarchy. She reminded me of, uh, for those of you, who watched uh, the the movie on the, the Clark sisters. Mm-hmm. She, she, my grandmother was very much like Maddie Moss Clark, mm. um, where, the you know, this person, this character, not a character, she was a person, right? A person who empowered her daughter, um, whose ministry was impactful, but who literally gave in to the patriarchy of the church, right? And so my grandmother definitely preached and taught that the woman's role and place in, in, the, in the family was to be like a wife, Produce children. Clearly, she had ten kids, right? um That the husband was supposed to be the head of the household. There were moments that she articulated the reason she was the pastor because there was no men in place yet. um mm. So she definitely. Mm. So no, she embodied the pet like me. Not don't not wearing skirts. Not you know, my body is a, a, a face of sin that draws sin. Like no, she taught this stuff. Um, and so no, she taught patriarchy. She taught patriarchy. So it's mm. interesting that I was so empowered by who she was, um, but at the same time. Patriarchy was instilled in me, right, based off of from a woman, a woman right. perspective, and so um, part of the reason I don't jive with the ministry now is because of those things. Like, mm-hmm. I am thirty seven, I am not married, I have no children, and mm-hmm. for them, I am I am not following the will of God for my life as a woman. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. That's that's very interesting. I mean, you know, we talk about being complicit in our own oppression right, and that is one of those spaces when we begin to look at theology and what theology that we are embracing. and uh, I know for women that I have studied with when I was in seminary, I would see them wrestling with this issue uh, and I, I I found it so paradoxical, right that they would say, yes God has called me to preach, but my the my husband is the head of my house and, and, and how do I, he's my spiritual head. And I would, that language was so hard for me. And, and that, that mentality was so hard for me to, um, uh well i couldn't i couldn't bring those together and we we would often engage in these conversations about just what we talk about here at cbe that about mutuality that god calls us to be mutually respectful and to mutually love each other and that we are both to mutually submit to god and that in even our uh, familial relationships that there is a um that there's again this mutual submission and um there should be more emphasis on a balance based on your gifts and your natural inclinations. Um, so it's very interesting to hear hear um, that, that experience for you. Well, um, Dominique, Dr. Robinson, thank you so, so, so much for being our guest today. I've thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. Um, and for our listeners, I just want to say, Thank you as well for joining us today. Stay tuned for all of the brand new episodes that are coming to you weekly from our incredible team of co-hosts. Go to the show notes and learn how you can follow and support all of the members of our podcast team. And be sure to follow CBE International on Facebook and Twitter. You can go to our website at www.cbeinternational.org for even more content. Subscribe to our blog, magazine, and an academic journal. Watch videos and listen to audio of past conferences and events. And I encourage you to go visit our bookstore where you can find a ton, a ton of talented authors and subjects that will enrich your own faith and equip you to use your God-given talents in leadership and service to the gospel for all, regardless of gender, ethnicity, or class. I am Reverend Dr. Angelo Raven-Anderson, And I would like to thank Landon, our support tech, and the entire team of CBE International that makes this podcast possible. We are Mutuality Matters. Thank you for listening. Looking for more information about CBE and our mission for biblical equality? Then please visit cbeinternational.org for more information. And please be sure to tune in each week for new episodes here or wherever else you listen to podcasts.